morning, family. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the leaders in our family here, and I'm excited to be able to, to share from the scriptures with you this morning. Uh, hopefully, uh, anybody ready to kind of this Labor Day weekend have it over, get back in the rhythm routine of school, things like that? Parents, raise your hands. Yes, right? Yeah, <laughs> hopefully it's a restful, refreshing rest of your Labor Day weekend today and tomorrow. Hey, I'm going to start our time uh, in prayer, and then we'll get into the scriptures. Father, we pray that you would use these scriptures. And we pray that you would use my words to point back to the truths contained in them, the truths of the power of the gospel. Father, open our hearts to hear what you might have to say to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this this summer, we rented a a car. We hardly ever rent a car, but this summer we did rent a car. And usually when you rent a car, they give you a newer model car, right? They don't give you like a 1999 something. They give you a new model. And so we rented this car and it was cool. Like a little way into the trip, we realized that we could warm our butts up and cool them off with this feature that they had. Uh, they had nifty things like in your side mirrors on your car. Uh, if you got too close and were, like I was going to do a lane change on the highway, some, uh, there was like a triangle that lit up. And like it would beep actually if I was going to do it or it was dangerous, whatever. Um, there was like 2,000 USB ports because, of course, when you're in the car, you need to be connected to multiple devices at the same time so you don't have to talk with your family members, right? I mean, that's what you need. That was a joke. You can laugh. So uh, it, our car has so-and-go seating, but this one had it where you just push a button and it, like, transformed like Bumblebee, like right before your eyes and put it all down for you. You know, there was all these bells and whistles. And I want you to think, my car doesn't have a lot of these. I want you to think about... Uh, whatever car you would envision with whatever bells and whistles that it would have that are just amazing, convenient, great. Now, I want you to think about this car having a terrible engine. Like the engine shot, it's worthless. How many of you would want that car? Raise your hand. You wouldn't want it, right? Because the car's no good, because the engine's broke. The engine doesn't go. We talk about, we did this morning, we'll continue to talk about our vision to be a family of followers of Jesus, helping others follow Jesus. But we want to be really clear. That's not our vision. Or, excuse me, that's not our engine. That is our vision, okay? Let me be clear. That is our vision. That's not our engine. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of gospel, that's our engine. See, we can have bells and whistles in our programming. We can have great children's ministry, but that's not our engine. We can have a great youth group, not our engine. We can have great groups, missional communities, triads, small groups, triads, huddles, not our engine. We can have, hopefully, good preaching, not our engine. Music, worship, not our engine. The engine is what undergirds all of those programs, so to speak, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about your own life. What's the engine that drives you? What's the engine that drives you? Is it the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, or is it something else? See, family, we talk about our vision again, the family of followers of Jesus Christ, helping others follow Jesus Christ, but that's not our engine. Our programs are not our engine. The gospel of Jesus Christ is our engine because that's what has power. But why? What does it accomplish? What's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's what we're going to look at this morning. So I'm going to have you open up with me uh, to Romans chapter 1 as we seek to answer that question. What is the power 
of the gospel, which is our engine. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 1. As you're turning there, Paul was an early leader amongst the followers of Jesus. And he's writing to the followers of Jesus in Rome. And he's telling them that he continually remembers them in his prayers. He wants to go visit them so he can encourage them spiritually and be encouraged by them spiritually. And he wants to go to Rome too, he says, so he can have a harvest there. What that means is so that he can be a part of many people coming to know follow Jesus Christ who previously had not. So we're going to read chapter 1, verse 16. Chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation, for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So he's not, Paul, ashamed of the gospel, and because it's salvation to anyone, Jewish person, Gentile, who believes in it. I want to start, though, with talking about what the gospel is. Okay, what's the gospel? What's its power, etc.? To do that, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. So the Gospel, Gospel means good news. The Gospel is the good news about Jesus, His life, His death, His resurrection. And this verse says that the Gospel has the power to save people. Salvation, But that should make us question in our minds, what do people need to be saved from? Right? It should cause us, what do people need to be saved from? If you put up this next verse, uh, Romans, the same book, a couple chapters later, say, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God is perfect. We are not. We've all sinned. And it means there's a difference between who God is and who we are. The consequence of this, according to Romans 6.23, the wages, what we earn because of our sin, is death. That's talking about spiritual death and physical death. We physically die, but because of sin, spiritually, outside of Jesus, we're spiritually dead. Now, it hasn't always been this way, though. And this wasn't ever God's intent. See, in the beginning... In the beginning, you had God, because there's never a time that He didn't exist, which is mind-blowing, but that's another sermon. So in the beginning, you had God, right? And He created the heavens and the earth. This isn't a chocolate chip cookie. That's the heavens and the earth. Okay? He created the world. He said it was good. And then He created us. And He said it was very good. And there existed this perfect harmony, perfect relationship between God and man, man and each other, and man and the world. He created us in His image. His goal was that we would reflect what God was like to each other and to the whole world. And it existed for a time, a short time, until humanity chose that they knew better than God. They forgot they were already like God. They wanted to be like God, and they rebelled against Him. And then there was this division, relationally, between them and God, where their hearts were darkened. Their relationship between them and God was fractured. 
the relationship between humanity was fractured and the relationship between humanity and the world was fractured. Ever since Adam and Eve, every single person who's ever been born in the entirety of the world has needed to be saved from their sin. Let me repeat that. Ever since Adam and Eve, in this fracture, every single person who's ever been born in all of the world has had needed to be saved from the penalty of their sin. But I, I, I want you to think about that. Do you believe that? Does our kind neighbor need to be saved from the penalty of their sin? Does our adorable child or nephew or niece, are you putting the blank, need to be saved from the penalty of their sin? What about the co-worker who seems to live out maybe the character or the qualities of Christ more than people who call themselves followers of Christ? Do they need to be saved from their sin? I mean, I think we can say, like, we all have a picture of quote-unquote bad people in our minds, and there's various things that could come into our mind when I say that. We could go with that. Yeah, they, they need salvation, right? They need to be saved from the penalty of their sin. But what about moral people? What about people where you look at the outside and they're like, yeah, they seem pretty good. What about Buddhists? What about Hindus? What about Muslims? What about those who claim the name Christian, but you can't tell in their life? See, family, this passage, and I could put up a plethora of passages that declare that all humanity needs to be saved from the penalty of their sin. All humanity. And if we believe this, what that means is that outside of being saved from the penalty of their sins, that they will experience eternity. We're all eternal beings. Eternity separated from God. what the Bible calls hell. Right? And it's not PC to say that, but this is the truth. It means that their sin will count against them eternally. Please hear me. I'm not saying it's like super fun to talk about, but it doesn't mean it's untrue. It doesn't mean it's untrue. John Piper states it this way. If you could put up that quote, please. We remind ourselves that the gospel alone brings forgiven sinners to final everlasting joy. Nothing in the world can do this except the gospel of Jesus Christ. Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, they do not have a Savior who can solve the problem of separation from a holy God through sin and offer sinners hope by grace and not works. Only one message saves sinners and brings them safely into the presence of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It alone is the power of God unto salvation. And again, we, we might think this is heavy. We can wrap our minds around God kind of being just and His justice going against those bad people. But the people who appear not to be bad, how could God's justice go against them? The, I mean, we teach morality. We teach to open doors for people to be polite. If we think someone's ugly, we won't say it. Like, we teach these things, right? How could God kind of be, be eternally separated from that person? Here's the deal, though. I wonder... Could our morality actually keep us from God? Could our morality, in a sense, blind our hearts from the reality that the engine of our hearts is constantly leaking oil? It doesn't run as it was intended. And we need to be saved from ourselves and from our sin. 
Romans 1.17, if we continue on in that passage, it says, In the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the righteousness from God is revealed, the righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. There was a pretty prominent um, follower of Jesus who passed away recently, Billy Graham. He was answering a question from someone that came in, asking about the differences between world religions, and they were confused by Christianity, and he answered them this way. He said, the difference between the religions you've been studying and Christianity, and he summarized in two words, Jesus Christ. He's the center and the foundation of the Christian faith, and he's also the reason why Christianity is different from all the other religions that people follow. Let me explain it this way. All the religions you've been studying have one thing in common. They're all searching for God even if they don't call him God, or they think there may be many gods and goddesses. They do this in a multitude of ways, but they're all trying to find God and gain his favor by their sacrifices and good deeds. But Christianity is different. Instead of us searching for God, God's searching for us. Instead of us reaching up to God, God's reaching down to us. This is why Jesus is so important, because he came down from heaven to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, bring us to God. God is perfect and holy, and we're separated from him by our sins. No matter how hard we try, we cannot erase the stain of sin by ourselves. But by His death and resurrection, Christ did this for us. And family, I can't overstate how important it is to believe, in essence, the bad news about us. Because if we don't believe that, then the good news isn't very good. We're really not rescued from anything. We're pretty good moral people anyway. Then we're just kind of like a social moral club trying to have social relationships, which we want to have relationships become more moral, which we want to become more moral, but because the gospel is driving that. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is driving that. And sometimes I think in our society what we do is we already think, well, we're pretty good, and if we're pretty good already, we don't need Jesus. We don't need Jesus. The converse also sometimes happens where I will speak with people and they'll be convinced that because of the brokenness in their life, because of what they've done in the past, because of how they've lived, there's no way that God could accept them, forgive them, restore them, save them, whatever word you want to use there, right? There's just no way. You only need my life. I remember Mike was speaking, this was within the past year, and someone in our family came up to me afterwards and they said, I, I get it. And there was just this joy in their face. And in their saying their life because God could forgive whatever they had done. There's this aha moment where they got it that God's grace was bigger than their sin. And the same thing is true though. There's a freedom when we don't have to be perfect. When it doesn't become about being more moral, but it becomes about Jesus being lived out through our life. There's a freedom in that. We don't have to attain some standard that's impossible to attain it. It's a free gift of God reaching down His hand, offering us relationship, offering to pull us out of our brokenness and replace it with Jesus' perfection. There's a freedom and a joy that comes in that. Just to be clear, if I'm kind of intentionally building into someone, if I'm building a relationship with someone, etc., um, who maybe doesn't actively follow Jesus at this point, the things I've talked about, specifically hell and separation, I don't leave with that. It's not like I meet my neighbor and be like, we're talking, I'm like, so what do you think about hell? I mean, you don't do that, right? We're contextually wise. But here's the danger. The danger that continues to creep in is that society informs 
how we view Christianity rather than the scriptures inform how we view uh, how we view Christianity and the gospel. And like we can't just erase things that aren't PC or that we don't like to talk about. I don't necessarily like to talk about it, but it doesn't mean it's not true. It's important because we erase it and then we're not left with anything. Then we're not left with anything. So first, the power of the gospel can save us eternally. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, by His grace, not by what we do, it saves us eternally. It brings us into a right relationship with God the Father. gives us all these brothers and sisters called the church. makes us family. But that's just the start. That's not the end. The power of the gospel also saves us in the everyday. The good news of Jesus Christ, God is not looking, I've heard it said before, God is not looking for decisions to follow Jesus, but he's looking for disciples to follow Jesus. This is an all-of-life thing where progressively the good news of Jesus begins to change us from the inside out, begins to change and give us a new power, a new ability to every day fight the sin in our lives in essence. It doesn't make us perfect. It doesn't make us sinless. But it does progressively help us to sin less or at least recognize it in our lives and be quick to deal with it and make it right. It it changes everything. It changes our passions, our character, our values, our priorities. It changes everything in the everyday. The good news of Jesus Christ, the power of salvation is for everything, every day. I like it. I like it. I try and reassure when a brother or sister in Christ comes to me and they're like, man, I don't even know if I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm like, oh yeah, why? Well, there's this sin that I just just can't lick. Can't beat it. It just keeps rearing its ugly head all the time. Right? And I'm like, join the club. And if we're honest, we'd all say join the club. But then I keep processing further. And I'm like, well, do you feel bad about it? Do you feel sorry? Do you feel like a healthy guilt about it? They're like, yeah. I'm like, well, are you, you know, going to God with that, asking for strength, asking to, for help in that, they're like, yeah, I'm like, well, sounds like you're a follower of Jesus. Right? The power of the gospel doesn't make us perfect. It changes our power to trust Him, to go to Him, and to seek to have our character in our lives more and more reflect Him. And sometimes it's like this, and sometimes it's like this, and it's all over, right? It's not this straight upward right as we follow Jesus. It's kind of like this. Put up that next image. Someone tell me what word you see. Not everyone at once, though. Good, okay? What else do you see? Evil, right? It's perspective. So I wonder if we could liken the power of the gospel in our everyday life to continue to see the goodness of God and His grace and His forgiveness and His mercy and His compassion and you name it, right? But yet we continue to progressively see in essence, evil in our own hearts. But it's not a punitive thing. It's like, man, God, why would you want anything to do with me? I know my own heart. I know how selfish I am. I know how much I think about myself rather than others. And yet, God, you would send your hand of relationship down to me in Jesus Christ. It's amazing. As um, Steve Farina is meeting with groups here in West Bend as we try and kick off this year for groups, he's asking a question that I think is just a a really, really good question. And the question he's asking is this question. And this could be for any of us. It doesn't have to be for a group leader. How can you, as a leader, lay down your life 
think it's a great question. And I think the reason it's a great question is because this is the gospel. Jesus laid down his life for us, literally, so that we could figuratively and potentially literally lay down our lives for others so that we could point them to him. We lay down our right to get even or to win. We lay down our jealousy and wanting what others have. We lay down our um, gossip. We lay down everything, our schedule, our time, our resources to Jesus so that we can help point other people to Him. Because this is what I found. As we're in relationship with people and those who don't actively follow Jesus, you know what is going to pique their interest in the person and work of Jesus is seeing the difference that the gospel makes on our everyday lives. It's not just what we say, speak with our lips. We do need to speak, but it's what we, what we show with our lives. take that person into your home and love them like they're one of your own? Why would you give up your time and, and, and serve like that? You're, you're just so giving. Why is that? Why is your response when I come to you with something that's bugging me to pray for me? I mean, multitude of ways. You fill it in. We could talk about, you know, hundreds of ways that could play up. But when we're in relationship with people who don't yet follow Jesus and they see the difference that the good news of Jesus makes and its power in our lives to change us, it seems more like good news. Right? They're like, wow, that, uh, that has an effect. And it's at this point that they're probably going to ask why, and you're going to have an opportunity as the scriptures say to give the reason for the hope you profess. All that means is to share about why you did Jesus. Right? Jesus. See, power of the good news uh, the power of the gospel saves us eternally and brings us into a right relationship with God the Father. The, the power of the good news of the gospel saves us every day. It changes us from the inside out in every way so that we can show what God is like. But the power of the good gospel also is meant to be shared with everyone. Go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Tell me the first phrase that's in verse 16. first phrase there, until the comma. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And Paul's not ashamed of the gospel because he's personally believed in it, put his trust in it, and experienced its power. So he's like, man, if this is what the good news of Jesus can do for me, I want everybody to know about this. I'm going to share it with my lips and show it with my life. This uh, past baptism gathering at the Jackson site, I was pretty encouraged because there were some family members um, at our Jackson site who chose to get baptized who I had been in missional community with. Um, And so that's always cool because you're in relationship with them, right? And they chose not to have me baptize them, several of them, um, because there had been people in their lives who had, in essence, been more influential in helping them come to know and grow in their relationship with Jesus. So I was like, no big deal. Live, take them off the Christmas list. No. No. That's amazing. That's amazing. Right? What that is, is the power of the gospel saving someone eternally, power of the gospel saving someone in the everyday life, 
so that the power of the gospel can allow them to share that with other people, whether people inside Kettlebrook, outside Kettlebrook, and help them know and grow in their relationship with Jesus. I had to reassure my family members that this is healthy, that this is amazing, that this is good, that I'd be doing backflips if I wasn't 42 and could if more of our family members experienced this. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing if the power of the gospel changed us in such a way as Troy talked about last week, he's talked about before, that we as brothers and sisters in Christ would have the confidence and the willingness to pour our lives into others, even just one other person. Even just one other person. To help them know and or show the power of the gospel in their own lives. To help them come into a relationship with and then have that relationship change them one other person. Whether it be adults, whether it be students, we would be doing backwards. How amazing would that be? That would show the power of the gospel. That would show the power of the gospel. And I get that we grow in this confidence over time. And I get that, you know, we can be weary, especially those outside of our family of talking about religion and politics. You're not supposed to talk about that. We're just talking about faith, religion, part of faith.
Thank you for this family. Thank you for 